Hey, welcome to the Friends of Kajabi podcast. Today's conversation is with Dr. Elizabeth Drum. She is a pediatric anesthesiologist at CHOP in Philadelphia. She's been very involved in global anesthesiology training in quite a few different ways. For today's conversation, to keep it brief, I am sharing the parts of our conversation that are more connected to Kajabi, but you can read some more about what she's doing with the ASA and the WFSA in the transcript. Um, So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks. It's one thing to train people, but it's another thing to um, sustain them, maintain them, help support them in their career growth. And in many parts of the world, anesthesiologists uh, might be the only one in a community or the only one in a, in a large geographic area. And um, we need to find ways to support them, sustain them, simple things like continuing education, but also things like um, how to learn new techniques and um, things that are happening, how to have some uh, collaboration and cooperation when you have a difficult case or how to work together to improve not only educational systems, but care systems, how to lobby ministers of education and health. And those are complicated things, even for people who have a lot of resources. So I don't know why we forget that those are things are important to everyone. I don't, I don't know how big picture you want to go, but you definitely are familiar with Africa. Like what's the picture of the need for anesthesia in Africa? I think it's safe to say that the need is probably overwhelming and staggering. If you could, if you could actually think of what the need is, you could get kind of depressed thinking about how would we ever meet that need. The standards that organizations like the WFSA advocate for are in terms of how many providers you need per population. And Mm -hmm. in terms of a place like the U.S. were way above recommended minimum, which might be 10 to 20 surgeons, anesthesiologists, obstetricians per, per 10,000 population. In mm-hmm. many countries in Africa, those are in single digits. So for example, Ethiopia, which has more than 100 million population, has a couple dozen anesthesiologists. Like on any given day in my hospital, there are more than that anesthesiologist in my one hospital in the United States. Mm. Um, Kenya and Uganda are a little bit better, but but not a lot. So most of Sub-Saharan Africa, which is what I'm most familiar with, has uh, such a lack of anesthesiologists. Even if you look at other anesthesia providers, whether they're nurse anesthetists or anesthetists or KRNAs or different names that are given to non-physician anesthesia providers, even when you count those, there's still not enough to take care of the population. So first and more foremost, I think we've got to find ways to increase the number of providers, mm-hmm. but that in itself isn't sufficient because you need numbers, but you need quality. You need quality care. In addition to that, you have to have the support system. So you need to have a hospital that has water and electricity and understands the basic concepts of sterile technique and infection prevention and control and quality and safety systems that support surgical Mm -hmm. care. But then you have to have uh, pre-op and post-op care and you need nurses and you need um, ways for patients to get to a hospital and need to figure out which hospitals should be doing what types of surgical procedures and each country has its own 
political and governmental ways that that's organized, there are certainly limitations in what's available. So there's a never ending need. So you can easily get, I think, overwhelmed with thinking about the need. When that becomes a little too overwhelming to me, I like to back off and say, okay, well, what, what can we do and how can we make an impact? You know, taking care of one patient is one thing, but teaching someone else how to take care of that patient is a secondary thing. And then teaching people how to teach other people how to take care of that is certainly a magnifying effect. Mm -hmm. And then really helping um, anesthesiologists, among others, understand what it takes to make that whole system and make it work. Again, mm -hmm. a surgeon can't do it alone. Anesthesiologists are an important part of the whole team that needs to provide excellent perioperative care. In too many situations, anesthesiologists, like many other parts of the team, are sort of an afterthought, but um, really doesn't make sense no. to only focus on one, yeah. one part of the team. This is something I, I actually was ignorant about, um, but what is the role of an anesthesiologist in a developing country? It's a lot broader than it is sometimes in America, right? Yeah. And um, the American medical education system is a little different from mm -hmm. many other countries in the world, even Western countries, sort of the, even the process of the length of education and mm -hmm. the responsibilities and how it's organized and paid for. Mm -hmm. um, most other countries are much less, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the word rigid necessarily, but it's a different system of how care is delivered. So in the United States, many at least teaching hospitals, academic medical centers where you train residents, there is always an anesthesiologist available. A resident who's a trainee is never caring for a patient without the supervision of uh, and a fully trained anesthesiologist. And so our medical education and hierarchies are pretty well described in terms of an educational system. Mm. Um, and in many places, even the delivery of care um, mm. is, is pretty well structured and organized. That's not necessarily true in most low and middle income countries. Mm. Again, the details are different, but there are different levels of anesthesia providers who are in many cases doing the best they can with the education that they have and the tools, equipment, medications that are available to them. Mm -hmm. But in a place like rural Ethiopia, for a, a population of a million people in one area, there might be one physician. And that's not an anesthesiologist. That's like a general practitioner. So from that perspective, there's no way that a physician is responsible for all the medical care. There's certainly no way that a, an anesthesiologist can be responsible for all the anesthesia care. Same is true for surgeons. So you have rural hospitals, whether they're called a district hospital or something else where you can get basic medical care. And if you show up with a broken leg or um, an infection, you may get some level of care. You might be able to get some antibiotics or your infection cleared out or mm -hmm. a cat. If you need something more sophisticated, you have to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So anesthesia care is the same way. The most highly trained anesthesia professionals are usually in the big cities and in the big hospitals, which means the rural areas are less well-served, not only by anesthesia providers, but by surgeons and nurses and equipment. And so one of the challenges is finding a way to provide the needed care in the rural areas 
and not only just the needed care, but matching all the needs together. So it doesn't do you any good to have a surgeon, but no anesthesia provider or the other way around an anesthesia provider, but nothing for them to do because there's no surgeon. One of the things that's become evident over the last decade or so is the concept of like, what is really the bare essential minimum? One of the things that the Lancet Commission described is what's called bellwether procedures. Mm -hmm. And so they have a list of procedures that are considered sort of, these are the basic minimal surgical procedures that you kind of want to be able to do in a district hospital, a less, you know, not a tertiary quaternary care. Things like um, treatment of abscesses. If somebody has a, a, a collapsed lung, putting a tube in there to open their lung basic care. And, and so within the adult realm, they've come up with this concept that's called bellwether procedures. So mm-hmm. if you can, if your hospital, your medical center can do these three things, mm-hmm. you probably can meet the basic needs of your community. And those three things are emergency cesarean section, mm-hmm. fixing a fracture of a leg that requires some type of operative intervention and doing an emergency surgery on someone for an abdominal issue. So, I mean, that doesn't sound too complicated, but, but if you can do those three basic things, you can probably meet the surgical needs of your community at the basic level. And if you can have the anesthesia team that can do those, then you can probably meet those basic needs. So none of that is necessarily glamorous. It's not plastic surgery. It's not something that's, you know, completely elective. It's basic surgical needs. And if you can meet those, you can probably meet the health of your uh, communities. And those are the goals that governments and institutions are working towards. How can we provide those basic needs? And we have a long way to go, but like that's some standards that are trying to be met. So with that and how many people do you need to meet those needs? That's where those basic numbers of 10 to 20 came Mm. for per 1000 people. So, but if you only have one anesthesiologist in your, in your county, for lack of a better way to describe it, certainly that anesthesiologist can't meet all those needs him or herself. And so you have to have, um, systems of who can provide the care, how can they have backup and support for things that are more complicated than they, than they're used to caring for? What if you, you know, have something come in that you're not familiar with, or what if you're overwhelmed? So there's sort of like more health system needs that still have to be addressed, but the boiling it down to sort of what are the basic minimum needs is, is a place to start and then figure out how to provide the care for that. That's a great answer. Because I, I could probably answer it, you know, myself in, in many ways. But I mean, Kajabi were, you know, for the developing world, a pretty advanced setting. But what does um, what does somewhere like Kajabi offer that makes it worth investing in for the for these training programs? Because I guess we're in that in between space. We're rural, but not you know not so super rural. Somebody can get to us from about an hour and a half in from Nairobi. Is Kajabi like? You know, is it an ideal setup in some ways for, as, as you look at, you know, the different training sites and things you've been involved with? Um, I don't know, what, what makes you happy about what we're, what we're starting out in here? Well, I think it's a couple things. I think clearly the basic infrastructure exists at Kajabi to provide comprehensive care to a whole population. And that's from birth through adulthood. That's from simple, basic outpatient needs to complex surgical intervention that requires intensive care afterwards in order to 
survive and, and get back to health. So in that sense, it's not just a rural remote place that just does a few things. It has a whole comprehensive care, but it doesn't necessarily offer everything to every, everybody that uh, a bigger city might, but you don't need everything everywhere. So from that sense, I think it's really a good, a good way to look at what does a population need in order to try to not only meet the basic minimum, but to try to use the advances that we have in medical and surgical care to improve someone's health, not just react to when you fall and break your leg or you have an infection, but how can we try to promote health among our population? I think the other things that, that a place like Kajabi does is allows people who are learning and training and people who are more uh, advanced in their career, but to see the value of working together in teams and partnerships. And for too much of medical history and training, certainly in America and in many Western countries, there's hierarchies, there's traditions of who's in charge and who has the power and who make, gets to make the decisions, which may or may not necessarily be in the patient's best interest. A, a culture of education and training, which is not necessarily supportive and positive. Those things are slowly coming to light and being addressed in American medical education, although we have a long way to go in my opinion. But um, I think a place like Kajabi, camaraderie that people develop by working and living together in small community and over a long period of time shows the value and benefit of partnerships and collaborations and working together to try to improve the health of your community, your city, your family, you know, whatever. I think in a place like Kajabe, having anesthesiologists training will help show that physician anesthesiologist and non-physician anesthesia providers can work together collaboratively. There are way too many examples around the world where some relationships between different levels of providers are antagonistic. It happens among anesthesiologists. It happens among other healthcare professionals. And in a place like America, where there's many other factors at play, that's uh, sometimes borne out by politics and finances and, you know, too many other things to, to enumerate, but certainly in the end, it tracks from the care that patients need. So I think there's value in people seeing the benefit of collaborative relationships for much of medical history, surgeons and anesthesiologists haven't always been collaborative and working together. One of the things that in America, I think we generally notice that some hospitals have better cultures of surgeons and anesthesiologists working together than others. Mm. And uh, I think it clearly beneficial for the patients if the teams work together, but that's not always the case. And so that needs to be modeled. Same, same between specialists. If an emergency medicine physician asks for help from a urologist or a general surgeon and the attitude is, well, why are you bothering me? Nobody benefits from that. And yet that's sort of an ingrained attitude. And so in a place where everybody's in it together, I think people learn that. I think another, another thing that um, Kajabi is working towards is finding ways to train people to go into communities where there is not the level of care that Kajabi offers. And that's a little bit of a tricky thing to teach someone to do. You want them to learn every benefit of what you have at Kajabi, but you also need to train them what happens when you go to a more rural place and you don't have all this stuff. 
That's true in America. That's true in, in uh, Africa. It's, it's difficult. It's not simple formula. Um, it does help remind you to, to learn for the basics and what can you do and how can you do no harm, you know, how to prepare and how to advocate for what you need. Um, it doesn't do any good if we train all these people and they all end up in Nairobi. Like that doesn't do any, any good for the rest of the country necessarily. So finding that balance is difficult and it's gonna take some thoughtful dialogue among leaders about how to meet those needs. One of the things that I think um, some of the other training pro programs in Kajabi have worked on is really trying to find ways to train people to go into uh, places in Kenya in particular, but other parts of Africa where there are not so many. And if you can provide a team, if you can have a surgeon and an anesthesiologist and other support staff for, for an operating room and a hospital that can meet the care that the, of the patients, that's what you need. Yeah, your answers actually made me really happy because I I've been around hospital systems. My wife, but you know, in America, usually Ariana is you know, Ariana is the one at the hospital. I you know drive through the outside. And I'm not looking at the inside of it, but it's easy for somebody like me to overlook um, the the culture of collaboration. Yeah, I, re I remember when I, I had surgery a few years ago, and um, and Mark, uh, you know, Mark did the anesthesia, and the orth orthopedic surgeon was doing the thing, but he just called. Um, you know, and they're all friends. I mean, he, you know, so Mark calls Mike and Mike calls Rich and everybody's just, you know, together working on me. And that's, that's amazing. And, it, and I really haven't thought until you said that, what that means also to be just living together in this community as neighbors. It's fun. It'll be interesting to see who, who the first residents are in the class, but like, you know, we go to their kids' birthday parties. You know, it's a really, really special place to actually get to know people on many and deep levels. So I love that. Well, anything else, you know, you think we should, we think we should talk about to, to wrap up? Well, we just had a series of interviews for applicants for our very first class of anesthesiology trainees. And so hopefully within the next weeks and months, we will be able to move ahead with selecting our first two trainees our initial goal was to start in January this month, but because of many things, COVID, government regulations, et cetera, we're not quite there, but we are hoping and praying that later this year, we will actually be able to start training these first two anesthesiologists. And so that's exciting. And it makes, makes you feel like we're making progress. We have to balance it about the needs, but we also have to make sure we train those two well and support them so that this is the beginning of a journey. It's not the end. And hopefully the beginning of many more trainees who are then can train other people who can go out and provide care that needs, needs to happen uh, around the world. I love it. Yeah. Well, we are grateful to you. Um, we're grateful to the many, you know, and I, I speak on behalf of Kajabi when I say this, but um, just for your, your level of advocacy and all the work you have put into getting, getting the program to the point where it's at and nearly ready to take off. Um, so it's really, really exciting. So we're, we're just thankful to you, Liz. Well, thank you. And thank you for your support and the support of people that I don't even know who are really working hard to make this. Happen, so. yeah. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you and good luck in the snow. <laughs> Stay warm. <laughs>